But would you pray with me as we move into this time of hearing from the Lord together? Father God, would you be with us? Would you shape our time this morning? Would you allow our hearts to be mindful and aware of the ways that you are stirring and moving in this place and in this church. God, would you show us your love? Would you allow us to meet you in this place? In your name, amen. Amen. Oh, there's this, um, there's this incredible book that I read as a kid that most of you have probably heard of, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And, and honestly, I didn't read the book in, until far after I watched the old school movies about the whole thing. And you see these um, giant beavers and they, they turn to the kids as they come out of the wardrobe and they're like, you don't know who Aslan is? Aslan is on the move. And they're like, what does that even mean? Like, what does it mean like, who's this person? Who's this thing? Like, what's Aslan? What's, what's, um, what's happening in this story? And, and you, you begin to, like, feel the tension of these three kids who have now stepped into a different world and are discovering and hearing about this person named Aslan for the first time. And they're hearing about Aslan as though he's this mystical, unknowable kind of crazy character, right? And they, they begin to say, what is that? What, why, why is him moving even important? Why does it even matter? How does, that, how does that relate to anything? And as the story goes on, they begin to experience the fullness of who Aslan is. And we kind of know in C.S. Lewis, C.S. Lewis's like narrative of his stories and the books that he wrote, that he wrote this, and it's very much a Christ a Christological narrative, Aslan representing Jesus present with his people and demonstrating the way to go, but also like this, this rich sense of that God is moving and we don't always know or understand what that means or what that looks like or, or even what to do with that. But um, that, that idea actually comes from Isaiah chapter 42. And so we're going to look uh, quickly at Isaiah 42, uh, verse 1 through 8. And we're just going to kind of see how God moves, how God works, and how God is continuing to work and move. And Isaiah 42 says this, The Lord says to his anointed, I myself will go before you. I will level mountains. I will shatter bronze doors. I will cut through iron bars. I am the Lord. And there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I strengthen you, though you don't know me. So all will know, from the rising of the sun to its setting, that there is nothing apart from me. I am the Lord. There is no other. See, when we, when we experience God, when we, when we recognize that God is real, that God is powerful, we also get to experience the sense that God is moving, that God goes before us, that God is doing work on our behalf that we don't see, that we don't necessarily know, that we can experience fully through recognizing who God is. Um, so today, we're actually going to be talking a little bit about how God has worked and moved in the church. Not 
just our church, but the church, the, the global church, but also the global church of the covenant. Where the covenant came from, why we, why we exist, and what God has been faithful to do through our denomination and in and through us continually in different ways. And so I called this a church under construction, mostly because both we are in this time of, of wrestling with, all right, what, God, like, what is this? Like, what are we becoming? What, where are you leading? What are, where are you guiding as a church? But also because God has had a faithful way of dealing with and caring for his church, for his local church, for his global church over time in a way in which he's invited us and a tradition in which he's invited our denomination into relationship with him and how cool that is. And so um, there, uh, there's this guy. Let me double check. All right. Um, so, but we're going we're gonna to kind of work in that out of the book of Philippians. Because the book of Philippians is this book, this, this letter that Paul has written to the church in Philippians. Um, Paul and Timothy are kind of like reaching out and saying, hey, this is so great. And it starts with these very key things about the church in Philippi that are really helpful for us as we kind of go forward and we discover what God is leading us into today. So if you have your Bibles with you or you have your phones or your iPads or your um, whatever else, you're more than welcome to turn to chap- chapter one of Philippians. It's kind of towards the end. There's all these Old Testament books that tell the story of the history of Israel. Then there's the Gospels. And then there's all these letters that um, Paul wrote kind of towards the end of the Bible. And then some other, some other letters and things at the end. So if you're not sure where that is, you can open up the Bible in your pew in front of you and also find it there, and it'll be on the screen. But Philippians chapter 1 says this, From Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus, slaves, servants, same word, but they're basically saying we have dedicated our whole lives to what Christ Jesus asks us to do. We're slaves to his will, to his purpose. To all those in Philippi who are God's people in Christ Jesus, along with your supervisors and servants. May the grace and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ be with you. So they greet them. And then they say, I thank my God every time I mention you in my prayers. Okay, I'm thankful for all of you every time I pray, and it's always a prayer full of joy. So clearly Paul and Timothy very much love this church. They very much love them. and are th- They're so thankful they say it twice in a row, right? They're so thankful for all these things. And then it says, I'm glad because. I'm glad because this is why it matters to me. I'm glad because of the way you have been my partners in the ministry of the gospel from the time you first believed until now. I'm sure about this. The one who started a good work in you will stay with you to complete the job by the day of Christ Jesus. I, I like this um, section, I, I think, but I think we sometimes miss the point here, right? We say, oh, God started a good thing in you. He's going to complete it. And we like personalize it. And, and there's nothing wrong 
in some ways with like personalizing and internalizing scripture, but this is specifically to the church of Philippi who's doing the work of the gospel. The you there, you will stay in, in you, will stay with you to complete the job by the day of Christ Jesus. That you is a plural you. It says you all, the work of the church, you as a congregation, you as a people, that when we're the people who work out our faith, who work out living out the gospel, who work out all that God has called us to do, that he is faithful to complete those things. And then verse 7 continues, I have a good reason to think this way. Because it's not just that God always works it out for good. It's that as evidence in the lives of the Philippians, in the lives of the Philippian church, that there will be things that worked out in a good way. I have good reason to think this way about all of you. Because I keep you in my heart. You are all my partners in God's grace, both during my time in prison and in the defense and support of the gospel. God is my witness that I feel affection for all of you with the compassion of Christ Jesus. This is my prayer, that your love might become even more and more rich with knowledge and all kinds of insight. I pray this so that you will be able to decide what really matters. So you will be sincere and blameless on the day of Christ. I pray that you will then be filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes from Jesus Christ in order to give glory and praise to God. Hmm. So how is God stirring and doing works in us? How is God helping us to live out that calling? Well, um, there's this guy named Philip Jakob Spiner. And Philip Jakob Spiner uh, was born in, 19, in 1635 and uh, died in 1705. And you're like, oh, that's a long time ago. And you're right. That's a long time ago. But basically, uh, the, the story of him is he is called the father of pietism. Back in the day, you ha- we all know who Luther was, right? Luther goes to the Catholic Church and says, there's some things that you're doing wrong. There's these things, there's these 95 things that if you really want to follow Jesus, you should do. And what ends up happening is the Catholic Church doesn't reform like he wants them to. It actually kind of splits and some people begin begin to follow Luther. And some people say, oh, that's not even far enough. And they begin to follow Zwingli and some others, um, the Anabaptists, and they they go even further in their reformation. But for the most part, what ends up happening is the Lutheran Church becomes a Catholic-style church that honors the traditions and honors and respects the authority of the priesthood and reforms some ideas and reforms some ways in which they look at the Bible. But over time, the, the result is that in Germany and in Sweden, the Lutheran church becomes the new authority. It becomes the new authority to the extent that religiosity, that being part of the church is how you find your citizenship in the kingdom. And especially in Sweden, where your baptism certificate was your sign that you were an actual citizen in Sweden. Right? So your, your participation in the church was necessary for your 
participation in the world around you. Your participation there had nothing to do with actual relationship with Jesus, but had everything to do with participating in the governmental system. And um, Spiner comes out basically and says, he, he's, he, he starts this thing that ends up being called pietism in Germany in the late 17th century. And um, his emphasis is on personal transformation through spiritual rebirth and renewal, individual devotion, and piety that laid the foundations for this new movement called pietism. Piety, basically like submitting yourself to the teachings of God. So these three things kind of become what starts to form these new things. So you have renewal and new birth and individual devotion and piety. And the result of that is you have these groups of people who say, wow, like I want to experience God. And I, I don't want to just go to church, but I want to experience God. And so they start meeting in small groups of people to read the Bible together. And it's called, there, there's this cool word that was used called the coventicles. Oh, covenant. Coventicles. The covent, conventicles are these groups of people who just want to experience Jesus together, who want to know the word. And so they form these groups and gather and, and read scriptures. And it becomes this kind of challenge to the state governmental system that results in some shifting and sh- some struggle of these people who very much are Lutheran, but very much are experiencing Jesus through reading scripture and through engaging together. And they kind of almost start a new church. And then many of them, for the sake of religious freedom, immigrate to the United States and start churches that are largely Lutheran, but then are part of this idea of wanting new birth and focusing on the scriptures and that in turn breeds this whole new covenant covenant identity of mission friends, the EV free, the Baptist General Conference all come out of this idea that we are going to be transformed by who God is. So who is the covenant in the midst of this? They come to the U.S. They, we, there's a, the covenant church in Sweden, um, which is now since merged with some other denominations as well. But as the covenant church in America and Canada and planting other churches everywhere else, we have a few things we affirm that come out of this central idea. We don't, if you go to our website, if you go to most church websites, you'll actually see like a, this is what we believe about Jesus. This is what we believe about baptism. This is about what we believe about tithing. This is what, like they list all these things with all these Bible verses and all of these references and all of these things. And they're all really good. And they're all things that we can in different ways affirm. But the actual cool part about the covenant is we have six things that we identify. We have six things that we identify. We have six things that we say, this is who we are as an identity. This is what we live and breathe. And there's some reasons why we affirm these things. So first, we affirm the centrality of the word of God. Why? Because at the very beginning, it was in the word of God that we discovered the richness of who God was. In, in the very beginning of pietism, you see that life comes out of discovering that God transforms us. The second one is that we affirm the necessity of new birth, right? John, um, John chapter 3 says this, like in the whole interaction with Nicodemus, like we, we remember John three sixteen for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But 
what that passage is all about is actually about the fact that we have to go before God and submit to him and that he births us anew in the spirit, that he invites us into that. And that's what we celebrate in baptism. That's what we celebrate in conversion. That's what we celebrate in following God. We affirm, the com- we affirm a commitment to the whole mission of the church. Not, not the church. Not our congregation. The church universal. Because we realize that we're not actually part of just a denomination. But we are part of believers gathered everywhere around the world following God. We affirm the church as fellowship of believers, so we gather together. One of our key affirmations is that we gather together in order to be in relationship with one another. Because it's only through relationship with one another, through studying the word and being transformed, that we actually even matter as a congregation, as a church, as a denomination. We affirm a conscious dependence on the Holy Spirit. And then finally, we affirm the reality of freedom in Christ. And basically, the idea of freedom in Christ comes from this sense that we actually are trusting that God is working and moving in the church. And so if you have a theological perspective that throughout time is affirmed and and confirmed in Scripture, that you're welcome to bring that to our congregation and to to our experience, that we're not going to say, oh, your experience is this and your experience is that. Sorry, go find other places. This is what we believe. Our actually invitation is that we as people can learn and engage and know God in a deeper way when we focus on the authority of the word of God, when we recognize that our experiences of God are different and that those can be affirmed and lived out. And so this is it. This is kind of like what we are as a church. This is who we are and how we, how we live out what God is doing. And so um, we partner with God, we partner in the gospel, right? When we look back at the story of, first Phil- of Philippians chapter 1, we, we get to see this idea, right? We get to see this idea of partnering with God. And so as a church, our invitation is to partner with God, to recognize the work of the gospel in our lives. And so chapter, verse 5 said this, right? And this is a theme throughout um, what, what Philippians 1 said. It said, I'm glad because of the way you have been my partners in the ministry of the gospel from the time you first believed until now. That you've been my partners. And then verse 7, he, he says, um, I have good reason to think this because you're my partners in God's grace in defense and support of the gospel. So, big things for us to take away for today. We partner with the gospel. We partner with the life-changing, life-moving, life-breathing work that comes from the word of God, that comes from understanding what it means to trust in Christ and him crucified. Uh, 2 Corinthians 15 says, if anyone is in Christ, there are new creation has come. New birth in Christ is about committing ourselves to him and receiving forgiveness and acceptance and eternal life. It means being alive in Christ. New birth is only the beginning though. Growing in maturity actually is a lifelong process that transforms us and moves us closer to him. And 
you almost see that in partnering with the gospel, that when we allow Christ to transform people, that it is through him transforming us individually that we allow then God to move us to transform the world. That we are the people who become mandated to help God's work become real in the world. Second point for today. That's not two, that's three. Second point for today um, is, is from is this. This is my prayer, that your love might be, become even more rich with knowledge and all kinds of insights. I pray this so that you will be able to decide what really matters. So why do we study the Word of God? Why do we come to church? Why do we have these opportunities to explain and to, to wrestle with and to, to ask questions of ourselves? Why do we seek truth in the Bible. And it's, and it's Paul's prayer for the Philippians. It's that we would become rich with knowledge, not simply to know. Not simply so that we can be really smart and know lots of stuff about God, right? We become rich with knowledge so that we can be discerning, so that we can be attentive to how God is moving and how God is working to know what really matters, to know how God is stirring and working in our lives. 2 Timothy says this. It says, do your best to present yourself. This is chapter 2, starting in verse 15. It says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, who correctly handles the word of truth. Avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. God's solid foundation stands, stands firm. Sealed with this inscription, the Lord knows those who are his, and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. In a large house, there are articles of not only gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes, and some are for common Use. I love this. Some are for common use, which is also translated as some to honor and some to dishonor. Some things say for some for good things and some for refuse, chamber pots and such, dishonor, uncleanliness. And then it says this those who cleanse themselves from the latter, from the uncommon things, for the unhealthy things, will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the heart, on the Lord out of a pure heart. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil 
who has taken them captive to do his will. See, those who cleanse themselves are used to do his holy and useful works. They're the things that that stir in us. They're the things that allow us to see and to experience and to know God in a deeper and more fulfilled way. And they are filled with the fruit of righteousness. Philippians 1, 1 through 11 says, I pray that you will then be filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes from Jesus Christ in order to give glory and praise to God. See, God actually uses righteousness. He uses this sense of cleansing us to become more, to become more connected with what God is inviting us to do and to be. Um, out, out in the... Uh, on that, there's a rack out in the lobby that has some of these on them. Uh, many of you may have gotten this before as you've gone through our membership process at our church. But these, this is this says what what does the covenant church believe? And really, it it breaks down why we affirm the things that we affirm. And there's a whole other section on the website about other biblical stances and things that we've had conversations over and that our churches have had had to struggle with and wrestle with um, on major biblical topics. But, but these are kind of those core things. So if you're like, oh, I want to kind of get a brief glimpse, there's a whole other book available that goes into this even more deeply that Melody just had to read, and she's smiling and laughing because um, it's not all that engaging and interesting. But if you love this kind of stuff, it's really awesome. Um, and, but... But sometimes there's something healthy that comes when we are the kind of people who recognize the roots from which we came. When we recognize how God has been faithful to us now and in the past, both as a congregation and beyond that. When we start to recognize, oh man, God, like you're doing something, you're working and you're moving in a way that I am not aware of, that, that I was not paying attention to. And when we start to say, what are those key things? And so one of the things that our co- the covenant became that was, that was central to the covenant, especially at the very beginning in the covenantical time of them sitting together in small groups and reading the Bible, there's two big things that they said to each other. They said, where is it written? How are we supposed to live out our faith? What are we supposed to do? What does the Bible say about it? One, where is it written? Where where does the Bible invite us to live out our life and our faith? How are we we seeking God in a way that's that's biblical-centric? So that, at its core, is who we are as a denomination. We ask the question, where is it written, first and foremost? We shape our theology on, is it in the Bible? Does it say that? And then when we start to hear things that we're like, oh, does that fit? Does that not fit? Um, this is great. I, I did a wana for a long, long time as a kid. And one of the very first verses that you learn in a wana is Acts 16.31. And they teach you um, 
I'm going to open up a can of theological mess right here. Um, and I'm not going to finish it. So if you want to talk more about this, then you can have a conversation with me about it later. Acts 16.31 says, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That's what, that's what they teach it to the kindergartners. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Ah, so good. So rich, so full. And then it asks, really, asks a really hard question because that's not the whole verse. That's just the part they teach kindergartners. The rest of the verse actually says, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. What do you do with that? Right? So as people who wrestle with scriptures, we then say, does my faith save somebody? How do I feel about that? Like, does that really affirm my experience of how the church has taught me? How do I wrestle with that? Do I have a good answer for that? Is that something that I'm going to do? And I'm going to leave you with that wrestling point today. Because that's not what our sermon is about. That's just a point to, to make the point that we look at scripture first and we say, what does that say about how we live? What does that say about how we interact with the world? How do we live out some of these ideas and some of these principles? How do we even know that those things exist? And how do we trust God to do work in and through us? Because to be filled with the fruit of righteousness is to actually allow the things that we experience in Scripture, the things that we experience in community, to transform us. That was the number one thing. The first thing was, was where is it written? And the second thing was about fellowship. And it said, how goes your walk? How goes your walk? When you look at other people, sometimes we get so well into asking about how your job is going and how, and, and I'm, I'm a victim of this too. We, we say, oh, how's, how's work? How are your kids? How, how's life? How about them Rams? Oh my goodness, my A's just clinched the number one seed in the, you know, in the wild card game and they get to host a game they're probably going to get eliminated from on Tuesday. And um, the Dodgers, oh, the Dodgers, you know, what is it, nine years in a row they've won the West because the Giants are awful. And, um, well, at least we have that mutual affection, right? But, like, but when, we, so we get, we get so easily distracted by all of these things in the world around us, we forget to ask. We forget. How goes your walk? How's your relationship with Jesus? Do you, has anything changed? Have you been mindful of that? And, and what if we were the kind of people, what if we were the kind of community that was so filled with what God was doing that we cared about one another's spiritual journeys? What if we turned to one another and we said, how goes your walk? How is God working in you? Or where? Did you need to be more attentive to what he is doing? Where do you need to take one extra step to trust him a little bit more? Are you allowing him to transform your life? Are you letting him be something that you kind of believe over there? Yeah, I know. I know God. Yeah, he came. He died for me. He rose again. Oh, so good. I'm saved. Now let me be. Let me live my life. Because the invitation of the covenant is actually that God would transform us. To be covenant people. 
is to be community people, to be people in fellowship one another, with one another. People often ask me, and I'll, we'll kind of end with this, but um, people kind of say, oh, covenant, what's that? If I hang out with other pastors and um, have gotten the opportunity to hang out with some of the other pastors at different churches in town, and they're like, what's the covenant? What does that even mean? Is that like a thing? Is that just a name? Like, no, it's a thing. Why does it matter? Well, most people don't know why. Like for me, it matters because pastorally, the covenant does an incredible job affirming me and supporting me and allowing me to do good ministry. And and I have incredible mentors and relationships. And I think the way that the covenant supports and cares for pastors is so awesome. And the way that they support and care for congregations is sometimes not as awesome. Because you don't see the beautiful picture of the community that I see. You don't get the experience of, of knowing and interacting with some of the other covenant churches that I get to have. We, we get so centered in the fact that we are a congregational church. The covenant allows each of our churches to independently kind of do their thing and to, to live out life and their journey in following God. But we can also lose the fact that we are a part of a giant church that's growing and vibrant. We are part of a people who value diversity and, and interaction with people who don't or believe the way that we believe. And that that is one of the hugest affirmations that we have. That we get to sit down at the table across from one another and disagree and know that we love Jesus all the same. Oh, when I finally came back to the covenant as a pastor, I finally felt like I was home because I didn't have to couch what I believed in some veiled perspective. We get to have real conversation and real disagreement, and it's okay. And it's faithful. Because when we're able to do that, we look and say, where's it written? And they're like, oh, over here, over here. Over here, how do you put those things together? I don't know. And we live in the tension of those things. But we also live in those tensions in the midst of community that cares for one another. There's a few last um, next steps that all kind of have related to something in what I've said today. But I'd say if you're feeling like, man, God is stirring in me and I want to do something like, I want to take steps in partnering with God's ministry and I don't even know what that is, but I'm going to do it and then I'm going to faithfully seek it out. You can check that one. I'm going to spend intentional time listening to God. We spend a lot of time praying and telling God and not a lot of intentional time listening to God. And there's some ways that we can listen to God through reading his scriptures, but there's also other ways like meditating on his word. There's also ways where you just sit and you be and you allow God to transform your heart. And you're mindful of, of being mindful of him. There's some really great internet search ways to find out ways that you can interact with God in that. Um, or you can come talk to me and I'd be happy to give you some ideas. Uh, and finally in here, I'll seek how God is filling me and give him praise through using my gifts for his work in the world. How are you filled with the fruit of righteousness? How are you rich in knowledge and able to decide what really matters? And how are you partnering with God's ministry? I invite you to those things this morning. Let's pray together.
as we continue in worship. God, you were good. Your mercy is new every morning. The way that you work, the way that you build, the way that you have shaped your church over time gives us an invitation into deeper relationship with you. God, would you transform our hearts? Would you allow us to ask some questions maybe about what it is that you have for us uniquely? Lord, you've also uniquely made us and created us to to know you and to interact with you in different ways. And we know that those things are not the same for me as they are for others. But God, would you, would you allow us to be sensitive to the way that you work and move in your people and in your congregation? God, we thank you for your faithfulness to the church. Not just our church. Sometimes we don't feel like it is our church. And we would love you to be more faithful to our church. But God, help us to see that we are a part of a huge church. That it is not just us, but that is our community together that can be a piece of your perfect picture of what life as as a community of Christians can look like. God, would you transform our hearts and help us to ask those questions. Where is it written? How goes your walk? Pray this in your name. Amen.